Welcome back to Half the Battle. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host, and Shaq, your co-host. We're going to be talking UFC Greenville, the Korean Zombie versus Hinata Moicano. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in South Carolina. Anytime the Korean Zombie fights, you know it's a fight of the year candidate. And now he's got a willing dance partner in Hinata Moicano. And uh, it's going down in the South this Saturday. Yeah, the Korean Zombie is definitely one of those guys that you got to tune in whenever he fights. I mean, he's been a part of some of the greatest fights in UFC history. You know, Leonard Garcia, Dustin Poirier, uh, Yair Rodriguez. I mean, the guy always brings it. And, you know, Moicano's coming off of losses. That's why both guys are coming off of knockout losses. And important fight because whoever loses is going to take a big step back. Man, big time. And the winner is going to be right up there in contention. I know both these guys had setbacks in their last fights. But, man, when you talk about the Chan Sung Jung versus Yair Rodriguez fight, that was fight of the year in 2018. Hanato Moicano had that fight with Jose Aldo. Let a lot of people down. Now he's got the chance in the main event to rebound. Huge opportunity. And, man, the co-main event. We get to see uh, the man himself, John Lineker, in person, in the flesh, against Robbie Font. You know, Robbie is uh, very hungry for that rematch. And uh, John Lineker hits like a truck. We're going to get to see firsthand in the arena how hard he really hits. Yeah, you know, uh, with all due respect to Cody Stamen, I think this matchup definitely gets fans uh, out of their seats more. And the first fight was definitely one-sided. A lot of people are saying Lineker might be on his way out, but uh, we'll see. We'll see about that. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very curious to see if that's actually the case because uh, I think that Hands of Stone might have something left in the tank, and I know Robbie Font's super hungry for that victory. So, man, I am pumped. And let's get right down to business because first up in the bantamweight division, we got Andre Uhl. He's 14 and five, and Anderson Dos Santos is 20 and seven. Currently, they got Anderson Dos Santos minus 125. The comeback on Andre Uhl is plus 105. Well, Shaq, a lot of action has come in on Anderson Dos Santos because, as you know. Andre Uhl did open minus 305. Anderson Dos Santos opened around plus 225. He was even as high as plus 250 at one point. Now, at that line, I completely understand taking Dos Santos. Plus 25, great odds. But now that the line is flipped and you see Anderson Dos Santos with a minus 125 next to his name, I mean, what's your opinion from the betting perspective with the value and just the matchup itself? Yeah, I mean, you pretty much hit it right there. It's a case of, yeah, you know, if Dos Santos is a big dog, I'm definitely interested, but it's still one of those, you know, 50-50 type of fights. You know, Dos Santos is a journeyman. The fact that a lot of people are putting a, a lot of money on a guy like this, you know, generally you'd like to see, uh, for example, like a Grundy, like in that example, everyone put their money on him. But, but sometimes when everyone puts their money on a guy like this, I mean, this guy is a journeyman. You know, he's been in Titan FC for a long time. And for a reason, he got a GFC call because two guys before him pulled out. So and his fight with that Normani, yeah, he's tough. I mean, he beat Ricky Simone back in the day, but we can't give too much credit. I mean, Ricky was a young kid. He was still learning his crap. But I mean, Dos Santos is a guy that's, you know, struggled with guys like Andrew Whitney and Titan, got knocked out in that fight uh the uh fight hosanado silva Silva fight he got knocked out i mean he's just been a guy that in his biggest moments kind of similar to like a holobot from titan as well it just seems like it uh it doesn't usually pan out and oh you know he's got that win over hennon burrow yeah i know hennon burrow's you know a little done these days but hennon's still talented the fact that he fought him in brazil as the underdog came through and in my opinion it was a little more one-sided than the scorecards read but uh that fight he didn't show uh the big question on well this is ground game you know because of nathaniel wood fight but nathaniel wood in my opinion is possibly a future top 20 top 15 25 guy in the future man i don't think anderson dos santos is anywhere near that level i know anderson's a black belt but generally uh if he can't get his takedowns you know, I feel like he's probably going to come out here, tie him up early in the first, but eventually gas out like he has in the past. And eventually, Will's going to start landing that straight left, and he's going to start uh, looking for ways out. So I think Will's going to get a late 
TKO in this fight. Yeah, very interesting matchup. Uh, I think a lot of people are putting way too much stock into that Nathaniel Wood fight. And like Shaq said, Nathaniel Wood might be a top 20, top 25 guy. Actually, he's number 19 in the world as we speak right now. So Andre Ull is going from fighting number 19 in the world to fighting number 148 in the world. So... I mean, talk about a step down in competition. I don't think that just because Nathaniel Wood gave him a tour of the octagon that Anderson Dos Santos will as well. And look, with Anderson Dos Santos, he's a prototypical Taijutsu fighter. I mean, basically every single guy from that Makako gold team, they fight the same way. The thing here is that Anderson Dos Santos is on the older side. When you're looking at the younger guys on Makako gold team, the Loriano Steropolis, Thomas Almeida a few years ago, like that, Dubronx. Uh, but Dubronx has a little bit of a different style than the prototypical Makako gold team fighter. And my boy, Dubronx had to pay his dues, make no mistake about that. But when you talk about these prototypical guys like Felipe Sertanejo, Tomas Almeida, once they take that once their damage meter gets up to a certain point, it ah man, they're just uh they're stuck in the mud. It's almost like it's almost like a formality here. So, you know, we can bring up how he's a black belt in jujitsu, and obviously if you were to bet on Ool, the last thing you'd want is for Anderson to get on top of him, but Anderson likes to stand and bang, man. He he rarely goes for takedowns and he, he really shouldn't even be in the UFC right now, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean that factually because he got the la he got the call as a super last-minute thing. Nad Nermani didn't just have one opponent. He had two opponents back out, and then they're like, uh, you know, who's willing to take this fight on a week notice? How about that guy in Titan that would always take L's on short notice for them? So they called him up, and uh, you know what happened there. With Andre Uhl, very long. The guy could honestly fight at featherweight. I think he might be better suited at featherweight because – he is 5'11 with a 76-inch reach. Very nice one-twos. Good uppercut to the straight two. He's starting to add kicks to his game, which I like as well. Ground game is definitely his weakness, but it's gotten better, man. I mean, in that fight against Brow, and I know we can say all we want about Brow being done. And by the way, Brow should sue the fuck out of TJ Dillashaw because imagine losing your belt, getting a significant strike record set on your face, and then the guy tests for EPO. I mean, I would be fucking heartbroken. But that being said, uh... Even in Burrell's done state, he's still going out there and winning the first round in most of his fights. Let me explain what I mean. Hendon Burrell won the first round against Aljamain Sterling on two of the judges' scorecards. Hendon Burrell won the first round against Jeremy Stevens. Hendon Burrell won the first round against Luke Sanders. And Hendon Burrell, on a couple judges' scorecards, won the first round here against Andre Uhl, even though he got dropped. So... I don't really put much stock into him losing the first round against uh, against Hennon Burrell. He came back, won the next two, really picked him apart with that long striking. And once again, this is such a step down in competition from Nathaniel Wood. Now Andre's seen what the top 20 looks like. Now let's go up to the top 150 and see if uh, you can compete there. So losers going home. I think Andre Uhl starts to pick up the, the volume and knocks out Anderson Dos Santos in the second round. I'm going to go Andre Uhl for the victory. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Eric Zabrinha Spicely. He's 12-4, and four, and Daron, all I do is win, is 5-0. and oh. Currently, they got Daron win minus 290, and Eric Spicely is plus 245. Well, Shaq, initially it was supposed to be Marcus Maluco, then it was supposed to be Bruno Blindado. Now it's a uh, good old Eric Spicely. So uh, how you see this one going now? Yeah, the Maluco fight. One would have most likely maybe pulled it out. Who knows? Maluco's a very tough guy. Uh, but the Bruno Silva fight was definitely a more dangerous fight than Eric Spicely. Uh, I mean, Bruno KO'd Alexander Shomenko. He, uh, I mean, he's been on that type of stage before. So 
I mean, now he's got Spicy. I respect Spicy. He's got wins over Tiago Mato Santos. He he did tap out another guy on this card, uh, Alessio DiCirico, in the first round. I mean, he's got very good jujitsu. Uh, and he's a talented guy. But the I just think you know, short notice. Who, who knows what type of shape he's in? Uh, you know, his last fight against Kyle Magalash. I mean, look, Kyle's getting knocked out every fight since he got released from the UFC, so I don't put that much stock into it. I think Spicy's a tough guy, good jujitsu, but I think uh, Duran Wynn's going to actually stay out in space, try to strike with Eric Spicy, and uh, eventually get a knockout here. You know, Eric's a tough guy, but he's shown that he can be overpowered, and he doesn't like getting hit, so I think Wynn's going to have a successful UFC debut, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, a 5'5 guy at uh, 185 pounds. We, we haven't seen that before, but I think he's going to pull out the win. Short notice circumstances for Spicy and uh, Arud, welcome back to the UFC. Look, the closest thing we've seen to a five foot five guy at middleweight is back in the day when Hector Lombard was in Bellator, crushing everyone. He was uh, the little man uh, with big power. Now the thing here is Daron Wynn's got better wrestling credentials than a guy like Hector Lombard. And, I mean, he comes from a better camp, just a different era of the sport. As you guys may know, he is DC's protege. And a lot of people are putting a lot of stock into the height thing. And for me personally, right now, I don't think it's as big of a deal. I think when he, when we start talking top 10, top 15, then we can say, hey, man, it's time to drop the 70s. But when you're finding a guy like Eric Spicely, I don't really think it's a big deal. I mean, look, Eric Spicely, much respect to him. He does have that win over Tiago Mejeda Santos. But the, the reality here is that Eric Spicely throughout his career, historically speaking, it's sub or bust. If he don't get that sub... Uh, he might, uh, he might cover up and let the ref intervene. And, you know, when people talk about, well, of course he's going to submit this five foot five guy, really, what neck is he going to choke? Cause Daron has no neck to choke. I guess the best, uh, way Eric could win this fight is if Daron takes him down, maybe a triangle choke. Cause I guess a short stocky guy, that would be the best submission to go to. But if Daron, if Daron does not get triangled here, he's going to win this fight pretty easily because on the feet, man, so much more explosive than Eric Spicely, so much faster. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about this improvement that Eric Spicely's made in his striking. And, yeah, now he is throwing straight down the middle before he would close his eyes and wing bombs. I do agree it's getting better. But when you talk about his last two wins being KOs and you say that's the proof that he's gotten better, that just shows me that you didn't watch those fights because the first one was against a 57-year-old. I mean, if you haven't figured out how to beat that guy yet, I don't know what to say. And then the next one against Kyle Magal, yes. And yeah, on paper, oh, UFC vet, the guy that went to split with Brad Tavares. It's like, what's Kyle been up to since he's been out the UFC? He's been getting knocked out in Russia every single fight. So he goes out there against Spicely. He starts teeing off on Spicely to the point where it might have been a standing TKO. The ref was thinking about intervening. But then uh, Kyle Magalhães pulled the Brazilian stunt, one shot by Eric Spicely, and the fight was over. I just don't see that happening here against Daron Wynn. I actually think for the most part, this fight is going to stay standing. Daron's going to leap in uh, with a one, move out the way on that counter, fire him with that one-two, and uh, put him down. So I'm going to go with Daron Wynn here for an emphatic victory in his UFC debut. And I hope they, they rebooked that Bruno Silva fight because that was going to be a very serious fight. Now, next up in the women's flyweight division, we got Ariane. Lipsky. I, I wanted to say the queen of violence, but uh, I, I think uh, it's pretty safe to say that that's complete bullshit. <laughs> She's 11 and 4, and uh, Molly Meatball McCann is 8 and 2. Currently, they got Ariane Lipsky minus 280, guys. The comeback on Molly McCann is plus 240. Now, Shaq, I mean, I know we all remember the hype that Lipsky had going into that UFC debut because on the regional scene, even though she wasn't that impressive, it was the end result of seeing those girls go out cold that everyone was like, oh, fuck, violence queen, this and that. Well, she comes in the UFC and uh, the violence queen won takedown and she was making facial expressions. So my question here is, is the minus 280 line warranted? 
Yeah, you know, Lipsky uh, definitely was hyped up in her debut. McCann as well. You know, they were both fairly hyped up coming into their debuts. And they both got embarrassed in those UFC debuts. McCann's at least come back and won a fight since. And she got that experience. Uh, Lipsky, I mean, she came in with some serious hype. They were putting her on commercials. They were... Uh, they were they were prepping her up, and I think queen she's of violence. A queen of violence, and you know I think she's a case of uh, I think you know these fights that she had in KSW. You know the girls had good records, but you know that's a product of you know the the promotion getting behind you, and they find you that perfect opponent to to you know make your resume look better than what it really is, and her skill set is blown up to better than what it really is. I mean she just. Uh, stands flat-footed and swings punches and eventually the girls that she beat fell down but in the UFC that's not a method of victory in the female divisions I mean you got to be able to go three rounds her fight with Jojo I mean she swung hard early for sure with some power but after Jojo ate it I mean she got completely dominated Jojo put on an MMA seminar in there as far as I'm concerned I mean Jojo gave her a tour of the octagon like for real and McCann definitely got submitted by Jillian Robertson but Lipsky's not a submission specialist so I'm not going to put that I'm not going to put that much stock into that fight personally because they fight completely different. Jillian's coming out here looking for the sub. <laughs> Lipsy's looking for a knockout. I think McCann showed good footwork in her last fight against Priscilla, a girl that, yeah, is not as te technically as good as Lipsky, but does put pressure on you, does test you. I feel like McCann can maneuver around Lipsky, you know, shell, use her footwork, mix in a takedown here and there. I feel like McCann actually showed improvements in her jujitsu. I mean, she had a uh, Priscilla and almost one of the, the same thing Dustin had Max and you know that mounted uh triangle especially that's an improvement after the performance against Jillian you know she said after that fight her coaches made her do a uh, hundred days of jujitsu and that's exactly what she did and so I feel like she's actually making improvements if she can make improvements but I feel like the line's off this line opened close to a pick em. And I feel like the fight's going to probably play out closer than that. And I'm going to actually take McCann for a close split decision. I think she's going to outwork Lipsky. I think Lipsky's going to gas out exactly again in the, in the late rounds. And even in her past fights in KSW, in the, exact, in the fight before she got into the UFC, she got dropped. You know, she uh, gassed out in that fight as well. So I think it's a pattern. I just think uh, McCann's a little more experienced. Actually earned her way here. And I think she's going to win a close, uh, a close decision. Did uh, Sheila Gaff also get finished by Sarah McMahon by chance? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, Ariane Lipsky's out here knocking out girls that were already the <laughs> the remains of, uh, you know, Sarah McMahon, right? And then we're going to act like she's some queen of violence, which is a total joke. I mean, look, I know she runs that Krav Maga studio. I know she's really good in the commercials, but, like, guys, I think the, the myth has been debunked here. I think we know this is a complete hype job, a complete fraud. And this whole Ariane Lipsky queen of violence thing is a joke. She's the fraud to the point where people were buying this JoJo 2.0 bullshit. You hear what I'm saying, guys? We told you that the last <laughs> I mean, we told you that last episode when we both picked Chukagan by decision. We said, after this fight, you guys are going to be like, JoJo got chuked. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. And JoJo gave this girl a tour of the... Like, look, JoJo beat Kalindra Faria and Ariane Lipsky, and people were acting like, this is the girl that's going to dethrone Valentina and all these things. I was like, oh my God, like that kind of hype like i get ariane's good looking i get it but like come on guys like it's a complete joke but molly mccann hasn't been that impressive either you know we were making jokes 
a couple uh, episodes back, Molly the Can McCann and this and that. But I got to tell you what, man, she really impressed me in that second UFC appearance. I know Priscilla Cachoeira this, Priscilla Cachoeira that. But look, Molly went out there with a game plan, had nice footwork, darted in and out, did what she had to do to go out there and win that decision. Here against Ariane Lipsky, what it's going to come down to is, you know, I want to say, oh, if she tries to fight technical, she'll lose to Lipsky. But it's really not about that. What she needs to do is bite down on that mouthpiece, go in and out, get in that clinch. And when she separates from that clinch, that's when she's got to let those punches go mixing a takedown or two and if she does a full mma game i think she comes out here and wins a decision against lipsky the reason i'm picking her is because look this fight should be lined way closer no matter who wins this fight should be lined a lot closer similar to where it opened but you got all these people saying lipsky should be minus 500 which is the biggest joke i've ever heard so that being said i do think there's value on molly mccann and uh, i'll pick her to win this split decision as well heavyweight division we got alan crowder he's 10 and 3 and jerzinho rosenstrike is 7 and 0 Currently, they got Jairzinho, Rosenstrike, minus 225, the comeback on Alan Crowder's plus 185. Well, Shaq, I mean, we know the trajectory here for Alan Crowder. Dana was not impressed with his uh, UFC uh, Dana White contender series performance. <sighs> Snoop Dogg was making the references about how, uh, you know, then they got to stop. He shot him, <laughs> he basically said he wasn't him or and his opponent weren't invited to the gang fight and now uh you know basically th what they're doing with crowder let's feed him to our prospect justin willis let's feed him to our prospect greg hardy and now uh let's feed him to our other prospect jair rosenstrike so my question here is is this prospect gonna win or is he gonna get dq yeah, too like, like you just said i feel like allen's pretty much the, the paul craig of the heavyweight division you know they feed him to the to the uh, heavyweights and but you know Crowder won he did win that first round against Greg Hardy so you know I'll give him some credit he he was up 1-0 on the scorecards um but you know it looked like Greg Hardy was gonna come back and win that fight if uh that's debatable but you know it, to me it looked like Greg was gonna come back Greg knocked him out <laughs> <laughs> it was just you know Alan said uh whatever he said to him that they blurted out and you know, uh, Greg accidentally tried to kill him. <laughs> I love how Greg threw a follow-up after the illegal knee, too. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever he said uh, that got blurted out must have really uh, triggered him. <laughs> but, uh, Note to self, do not call Greg Hardy a bitch. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, Crowder, he's got some takedowns, I will admit that. I mean, I think that's all he's got. You know, I feel like the guy's pretty much a, a guy I'd see on the NFC, you know, on, on a Friday night. But he does have wrestling. He does have some top control. And Jarzino's still very green in his game. I mean, he's one of these kickboxers that, I mean, we saw his last fight. He got taken out easily by Albini. But Albini's not used to using that method to really get wins, man. Crowder is. So if Crowder gets on top, who knows, man? <laughs> Rosinho might pull a stunt, but I think that if Rosinho lets his hands go and like actually commits to the punches, he'll knock Allen out easy. It's just that in his fight with Albini, he didn't really let he didn't really let his hands go up until the knockout. You know, he really sat back, got taken down, but he survived it. That's really impressive for a guy with only five fights at the time. So he is going to be my pick to win this fight. I think minus two twenty five might be a little too steep because we really don't know enough about him. You know, his fights prior to that, he's just knocking these guys, uh, these bums out. But I feel like his kickboxing background should be enough to knock Allen Crowder out. Uh, but Crowder does have a I don't want to say an over. He probably does have an overall better game. I mean, he's more experienced. He actually, you know, fought MMA fights, real MMA fights. So, you know, it, it could get sketched. But my pick is Rogine Strike by knockout. I think at some point, as long as he survives on the mat, he should find a home for a combo to knock out Alan Carter up. Yeah, when you talk about. Jairzinho, Rosenstrike's uh, kickboxing credentials. People need to know he had 82 kickboxing fights, went 76 and 6. So the How guy. Many knockouts? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> like over 50 to 60 knockouts. So, I mean, 
They call him Big Boy for a reason. But at times we have seen guys with with uh, records like that and come in and pull stunts as well. You know, you remember my boy Gokan Saki, Fiziev, uh, big kickboxing record. Uh, Saki, Shane Campbell, you know these big time kickboxers. Like, that those are three great examples. <laughs> for those that didn't listen, Fiziev, Shane Campbell, Gokan Saki. What about the guy that fucking tennis series? Jiga uh, Chikadze. Oh man, uh, fucking. Sometimes the kickboxers come out and pull fucking stunts. Uh. Yeah, I mean because he's still getting used to that transition from from kickboxing to MMA. It's a completely different sport. So. You know, not only is are the rules different, and everything, but I mean, even the gloves, man. Like getting from fighting with those pillow gloves to all of a sudden you're fighting with four ounce gloves, it's just a different thing, man. Give me examples when I think about it. Yeah, go ahead. Like Surreal Diabate, uh, fucking. I mean, Surreal Diabate is a great fucking example. <laughs> like, when when he came, over, over, but Overeem's a top fight movie, but he's been KO stuff like several times. Huh? Yeah, Overeem's the one exception, <laughs> and even he's got kickboxing chin. He's, he's got that Euro chin. Yeah. But look, as far as his matchup is concerned, Jairzinho Rosenstrike, he's still making that transition to MMA from kickboxing, so he's still a little green, not in terms of combat sports experience, but in terms of MMA experience, hundred percent. And with Alan Crowder, I mean, look, it's goofy. You know, he makes funny uh, faces when he fights. Oh, uh, it's ugly. <laughs> But if he gets on top of Jair, I'm not convinced that Jair gets back up. You know what I mean? So, Allen needs to come out here with the right game plan. But, I mean, that was the game That was supposed to be the game plan for Greg Hardy. And he got his arm raised, but between you and me, he got knocked out. And I got to bring up again how, you know, Greg, so he starts talking to Greg, starts calling him a bitch and all this stuff. And he called him something else. We don't got to bring up the other, the, other, <laughs> the other thing he called him, but... uh you know, when... uh Allegedly, he was talking to him in his ear the entire time. <laughs> so, after that shit talk, then Allen decides to shoot for a takedown from a mile out. And it was actually a nice entry, even though it was from far out. But then Greg Hardy sprawls. Then, when they start to get up, that's when he lands the knee. And right there, everyone knows it was an illegal knee. And then Greg does a little Dan Hendo follow-up for good measure, you know what I mean? But uh, those last two fights between Greg Hardy and Justin Willis, those weren't the only two times that Allen Crowder's been knocked out, guys. Curtis Blades knocked him out back in the day. There was another one back in the day. Justin Willis killed him. Oh, yeah, of course. Justin Willis as well. But uh, so Crowder, I mean, look, if Big Boy touches that chin, uh, it will be goodnight Irene. It's just if you're betting this minus 225 on Big Boy Rosenstrike, you just got to know that if this fight hits the mat, just pray that you get back up or pray that it goes to the next round. In that fight with Albini, I mean, it looked terrible until he got the knockout blow. And I'm going to still take Jairzinho because Allen doesn't seem to me like the type of guy to win UFC fights unless it's by DQ or some bullshit like that. So I'm going to go with uh, Jairzinho Rosenstrike via knockout in the second round. Maybe the first, but uh, my pick is Jairzinho via knockout. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Luis Pena. He's 6-1. and one. And the return of handsome Matt Wyman, he's 16 and 7. Well, Shaq, uh, half the battle wasn't even around last time Matt Wyman fought. I don't even think the flyweight division was around. The women weren't fighting in the UFC. I mean, it's been a long fucking time. I don't think I even met you back when, I don't think me and you were even boys back when uh, Matt Wyman fought last. So a lot has changed. Now the question is, is, is Handsome going to get back on track here after a five-year layoff, Shaq? I mean, look, we're, we're big fans of Wyman at Best Fight Picks. You know, he's one of the guys that came up with Frankie and Jim and Gray and all the, and Sean Shirk and, you know, all those dudes. I mean, he's from that old lightweight division, so hats off to Wyman. Much respect, but he's shown in the past that he, he, you know, had some good moments against Cole Miller back in the day. He fucked Cole Miller up. He beat Tiago Tavares. Uh, I remember everyone knows what Spencer Fisher did to him back in the day. Um, 
you know, he got allegedly robbed against Dennis Seaver, but between you and me, it wasn't a... for all, for all <laughs> For all the newer fans, you all got to see that Spencer Fisher or Matt Wyman fight. Yeah, like, uh, it's devastating. But, uh, you know, Wyman's one of those uh, those mini legends, but he's coming in here off a five-year layoff. And to, to be honest, like, I'm thinking this is a money grab, you know. I, I don't know what he's been doing these last five years, but... Uh, I think Luis, I mean, it's just going to be the more conditioned athlete here. You know, I feel like Wyman's probably going to try to tie him up early and, you know, try to use his black belt in jiu-jitsu, but uh, eventually he'll run out of gas. Uh, he'll feel, I mean, this guy has talked about in the past how he has panic attacks before fights. You know, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a tough guy, but I think at some point he'll run out of gas. I feel like this fight's going to go a little similar to the Smullen fight, you know, like, you know, besides the leg locks, but, you know, just... He might have a good scramble in him for a, a minute or two, but eventually he will gas out, and Luis will, you know, tee off with those punches once he gets his range and once he gets his rhythm. He is 6'3". He's getting better. You know, he looked a lot better in his fight against Steven Peterson, who, you know, who, who isn't the best guy out here, but Peterson's a tough guy who's got a good chin and was in, was in shape and is going to move forward the entire time, no matter how many times you hit him. So I think that was a good step for Luis, and I think he comes out here and gets a first-round finish over a uh, handsome Matt one. Yeah, look, much respect to Matt Wyman. Wyman is from back when the top lightweights in the world were Tyson Griffin, Shark, <laughs> Sean Shirk, Spencer Fisher, and Hermes Franca. So listen to this, guys. Matt Wyman was considered a veteran back when Evan Dunham was considered an up-and-comer, and now Dunham is retired. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Let's, so Just put it this way. Y'all remember my boy TJ Grant that was supposed to fight Benson? Like, that was who he fought for the boy <laughs> contender. You know what year that was? Like, yeah. 2000 like 13 you know what i mean so like guys it's been a lot of fun i respect matt wyman a lot you know and i think that he might even be able to take luis pena's back in the first scramble something like that but <laughs> once this fight hits the two or three minute mark uh you're gonna see a guy that's been out for five years you're gonna see uh man i, I just hope that like it's not like a injury stoppage like you know he his knee fucking blows out or some shit. Because, you know, it, it probably is going to be some shit like that. But I, this is what I think is going to happen. After this first initial scramble, I think when they get back up to the feet, Luis knocks him out with an uppercut. Now, if Wyman doesn't get knocked out, I think he can get dropped and get choked out. If that doesn't happen, I see him getting picked apart by the much longer fighter for uh, the three-round duration. But my official pick is a first-round finish for Luis Pena. And... Uh, Man, I think this will be the biggest win of his career. And much respect to Wyman. I hope they don't cut him. I hope he doesn't retire. I hope he gets a chance to... Wyman versus BJ. Yeah, Matt Wyman versus BJ Penn. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I got uh, Luis Pena here by devastation. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Kevin the Angel of Death Aguilar. He's 17-1. That's a hell of a record, Shaq. And Dan Ige is 11-2. Currently, they got Kevin Aguilar minus 150. The comeback on Dan Ige is plus 130. Shaq, you going with the Mexican-American or are you going with the Hawaiian? Because, you know, both these guys are tough as hell. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this fight. Like you just said, the Mexican-American versus Hawaiian. So, you know, it's most likely going to be a war. We know Ige is a very explosive grappler. You know, he likes to pressure you with a big right hand and that right hand's got some power in it you know and he and he likes to get that tie up and if he gets on top of you while you're fresh and you know there's no sweat but unfortunately he did that against guys like mike santiago who's been submitted i don't know how many times and danny henry's a nice kid but 
I don't think it's going to work out for him in the, in the long run. But, you know, he gets a super explosive guy. His fight with Jordan Griffin, he did go three rounds. But in that fight, you know, he, you saw how you beat him. If you survive his grappling onslaught early, he is a black belt. But if you survive that, he generally tends to tire out. And his stand-up's not very good. Now, Kevin Aguilar is a guy, he's more of a brawler. It's definitely not pretty, but... One thing about Kevin is he gets his job done majority of the time, and the only time he didn't get his job done was against, you know, a legend of my boy Leonard Garcia. You know, back in the day, back in the day, it's no shame getting knocked out by Leonard. Uh, <laughs> Leonard between him and Leonard beat Max Holloway. Back <laughs> Leonard broke Max Holloway, but uh, you know, so I feel like. Kevin Aguilar, the only way he can lose this fight is early. Yeah, he is open for big punches, and he and he definitely gets cracked every single fight. The thing is, he's got such a good chin. This guy's got big bones. He used to weigh 300 pounds. He's kind of like a country a country version of Volkanovski. You know? This guy used to weigh 300 pounds. He used to play nose tackle in football. Like the fact that he's fighting at 145 pounds, like that's why he generates all that power. So like him being flat footed is actually kind of a good thing, man, because he gets like he sits down on his punches and and. We, Enrique Barzola, the, the ultimate fighter winner, I feel like they have two completely different grappling styles than uh, than, than Dan Iga. You know, Enrique is known for his takedowns. He's known for picking guys up. And, I mean, he didn't even come close to, to taking uh, – to take an Aguilar down because that size, man. Anytime he gets close to Kevin, he feels it. I mean, he got wobbled in that fight, but Enrique's a really good fighter. I'm actually going to go on the record to say I feel like Enrique's slightly a little better than Ige. I feel like Ige's just more of a specialist. I feel like he's more of a guy that he's good at capitalizing early with his jiu-jitsu. You know, yeah, he won that decision against Griffin, but we know Jordan Griffin's takedown defense ain't on the level of Kevin Aguilar's. And I feel like eventually if Kevin can keep this fight, you know, in that second round, if he gets Ige caught out on space similar to the Arce fight, you can see a vicious knockout, man. You know, one of Aguilar's shots lands, and, uh, I mean, go back and watch that Damon Jackson fight. <laughs> go back and watch... Uh, Ton Lee fight. Yeah, the Ton Lee fight. Oh, man. In this fight on Contender Series, he took up a weight class on 155 and wobbled the guy bad. Like, that was off the couch. Chicken, yeah, off the couch. And, like, he had a guy on one leg, some Hawaiian guy, too. So, you know, he had on me. That fight, the Hawaiian lasted, but it was at 155. So, Kevin hits extremely hard, and he guys got to be on his P's and Q's. I don't think he's going to be on his P's and Q's for three rounds, so I'm going to go with Aguilar by KO in the third. Yeah, man, I'm very excited about this matchup. Uh, I see a lot of people comparing Kevin Aguilar's last opponent, Enrique Barzola, to Dan Ige, and I think that's an absolute absurd comparison. I don't think Enrique Barzola and Dan Ige have anything to do with each other. I mean, Enrique Barzola usually goes three rounds in most of his fights. I mean, nowadays, I mean, he's known for his Peruvian wrestling, but nowadays he likes to strike for about the first three minutes of every round, and then uh, he'll pick you up, slam you, steal the round that way, but against uh, Aguilar... There, there was none of that. I mean, Aguilar was shutting that shit down. When Aguilar, when you get Aguilar up against the fence, then he starts digging in for those underhooks, then he disengages. It breaks, guys, because it's like, oh, fuck, man, this guy is so strong. It's like trying to take down a fire hydrant. And, I mean, he's very tough to take down, but he's even tougher to hold down. And uh, about that comparison with Ige and Barzola, so I mentioned how Barzola loves to strike and mix in takedowns at the end of rounds. Ige is more of a jiu-jitsu guy than a wrestler. He likes to bum-rush you. With that big right, try to just either get you out of there right away or when he gets your back, I mean, he pounds guys out like he did to Mike Santiago. He can choke guys out like he did to uh, Danny Henry. I mean, not da yeah, Danny Henry, right? That's his name. But the thing, guys, is Mike Santiago and Danny Henry. Boy, Luis Gomez, too. Uh, Luis Gomez is pretty fucking good. <laughs> he, uh, he beat Sodique, right? You know, uh, if you guys want to do some MMA math down the line, when Sadiq Yusuf wins that championship belt, you can say 
<laughs> Ige beat Lo uh, beat Gomez, who beat Sodik, who beat whoever the champ was, right? No, but look, I'm getting distracted here, guys. Ige loves to come out, bum rush guys, throw big bombs, take their back, choke them out, and just dominate guys on the mat. And we've noticed that with Ige, when he's not able to do that, it's not that his gas tank's bad because the guy's not out here running miles or putting in conditioning work. It's not that at all. It's just that he goes so damn hard trying to get that finish. He's hell-bent on that finish that when it doesn't happen, there oftentimes is not much left. And when you're fighting a guy like Jordan Griffin, where, look, I got a lot of friends at Rufus Sport, but aside from Emmanuel Sanchez, the guys from Rufus Sport ain't known for their takedown defense. And that's just fact. He's the best fight to sponsor athlete. And that's just facts. But, uh, and, I, and that's no disrespect. I love all those guys. But uh, Rufus Sport is not known for their takedown defense. So when it was 1-1 to -one going in that third round, and all, uh, all Jordan had to do was keep the standing. Uh, of course, he uh, ended up on his back, you know, and lost the decision in Milwaukee. So it was kind of like, oh my God, Jordan. Whereas like Aguilar, you know, I, I hate to be like because he's seventeen and one. This is that. Look, the only reason I'm going to bring up his record is this guy is a consummate winner. This guy is a professional. The only time he's lost, he got caught in the first round a while back, and that could happen here. Ige is a very opportunistic finisher, but if that does not happen. Aguilar is winning this long-term battle, and not only that, I'll go as far as saying that he knocks uh, Ige into the fifth row, man. So I think we're going to see a highlight reel knockout in South Carolina, in Greenville. I got Kevin Aguilar for his first UFC knockout and his third UFC win. Next up in the strawweight division, we got Ashley Yoder. She's 6-4, and four, and Siri Kondo is 6-2. and two. Currently, they got Ashley Yoder minus 120. The comeback on Siri Kondo is plus 100. Well, Shaq, it's close to a pick -em, but that being said, do you think it's a close fight? Or Yeah, you know, I feel like this is going to be that, that this this fight definitely is going to be that typical, you know, three-round close split decision, as Yoder's fights generally are. Uh, her last fight was a split decision. That could have won either way. Um, who'd she fight before that? Angela Hill, she lost that one. Justin Keish, yeah, you know, all split decisions for the most part. So, you know, Kondo, uh, she had a good mouth. You know, she got lit up against Hans on then <laughs> really bad. But really bad. we know Yoder's nowhere near that level. You know, Yoder's got a good left kick. She's got some, you know, cute little triangles and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I feel like this is going to – this is pretty much a, a coin flip fight. I, I, I agree with, the, you know, the line. I feel like it's give or take either side. Well, I'll go with Kondo. I feel like she'll probably throw more volume, move forward. You know, not get knocked out. I feel like it might be a good fight for it. At first, when this was on the main card, you know, Shaq and I are going to the event. So if any of uh, the Half the Battle listeners are there, make sure you hit us up. But when we first heard this was first fight of the main card, I was kind of like, dude, what the fuck? But then I watched uh, their last few fights, and I kind of understand why. Because this is going to be an exciting fight while it lasts. And Ashley Yoder, she's actually made a lot of improvement. The the biggest weakness in her game is actually upstairs. It's the mindset. Sometimes it seems like she really doesn't believe in herself. But, man, her last fight against... Amanda Bobby Cooper. For some reason, people said that fight was a very controversial decision, but I watched it last night, and no, it wasn't, man. I mean, Ashley Oda would end most of the rounds on top, took her back, like was even jabbing her up on the feet. I was like, damn, my, my girl uh, Yoder, uh, you know, she's made some improvements in her striking for sure. Now she's got a little more UFC experience. And Siri Kondo, I mean, isn't she like a pro wrestler or some shit? Like, I think she had more more success in the fake wrestling because when she came over to, to MMA, I mean, when she made that transition, she was just beating a bunch of soccer moms, gets into the UFC, beats that 19-year-old girl, and uh, then she had to fight my girl Polly, got stopped in the first round with the liver kick. Then she has to fight my girl Yan Zonan, got 30-27, now, this is a more realistic matchup, but I still think she takes another L. So I'm going to go Ashley Yoder here via unanimous decision. 
But don't be surprised if uh, Yoder uh, pulls off a submission here. I could see that happening because we haven't really seen much from uh, Siri Kondo on the mat, and that is allegedly Ashley Yoder's expertise. But if she chooses to test out her new striking, her newfound quote-unquote striking, I think she can do pretty well here with that too. But I think her biggest edge is on the mat, and for her sake, I'm hoping that she uh, uses that. All right, here we go. 185-pound division. We got Kevin the trail actually we got Kevin Big Mouth Holland he's 15 and 4 and Alessio Manzo Dikirico is 12 and 2 currently they got Big Mouth Holland minus 235 the comeback on Manzo Dikirico is plus 195 well I know uh, Dikirico has come through for us in the past uh, cash some bets as well and with Kevin Holland he's a guy we were high on before he was in, even in the UFC we all remember that fight between Kevin Holland and Jeff Neal where Kevin Holland didn't just beat the top prospect Jeff Neal he finished him in the third round Shaq so now my question is is he going to come here to South Carolina and beat the Italian Alessio DiCarico? Boy, uh, Kevin also lost to Curtis Melinda on that uh, local <laughs> scene as well. But, yeah, you know, this is going to be a really good fight. You know, Alessio DiCarico, he's one of these tough Italians, and I got a lot of respect for him, man. You know, a lot of people are saying he's super slow. I mean, I've, as far as I'm concerned, that's always been the case. He's always been slow as fuck. He's a hard-nosed, tough workman from from Italy, man. This guy's looking to get into a bloody-style type brawl, and he's looking to, you know, grind you, hug you up on the fence. If he can get a takedown it seems like his striking is getting a lot better too you know Marquez put a lot of pressure on him in his last fight and Marquez you know he's very slappy but one thing I'll say about him he's got a lot of a lot of heat on those punches and Alessio had to dig down deep to stay in that fight and you know I, I don't I mean yeah he, he did tie her up but you gotta understand Marquez missed weight by like five pounds I bet you on fight night he was definitely uh, a lot heavier than Alessio and I mean Marcos is a Marquez is a big boy but this is a completely different fight with uh, Kevin Holland you know Holland is super long and, you know, Holland, <laughs> Holland's one of these guys that he's going to get by in a lot of fights just due to, just due to athleticism and, and just, I mean, the guy's super unorthodox, man. He, he kind of reminds me of, like, a, <laughs> a mixture of, like, John Jones and, like, Al Jermaine and, like, he's just super long. Guys get caught on the outside with him. With a little DS. <laughs> you know, guys get caught out on the outside with him and they just... Like, just like we saw Aljamain's last fight against Pedro the other day, you know? Like, once once those tall, long guys get moving forward, man, it, it's just kind of hard to close the distance on them. They start smacking you up fucking and just picking you apart. And, uh, you know, that's Kevin's going to get by on most of those fights. The only how you can beat Kevin is you got to, when you do hit him, he doesn't like getting hit, and he can definitely be held down, you know? And when I say he doesn't like getting hit, you know, for example, when he fought Tiago Mejeda Santos at 185 pounds, every time Mejeda hit him, you know, Kevin, that was really when he starts making faces. And, I mean, he's been hit before by John Phillips. and hit hard. But, yeah, Mejeda hit hard. But, like, every time Mejeda touched him, he would... <laughs> like really feel it and Mahetta took him down whenever he wanted to and he actually stayed in his guard but Kevin's one of those guys that it's so hard to stay focused in his guard you know for the entire 15 minutes you definitely might take him down like I said he can be held down but eventually he's gonna do some sweep with a <laughs> you know a triangle a Kimura sweep get full mount and you know start smashing on you there so the guy's just super funky super unorthodox and he's hard to fight you know I feel like Alessio's stand-up is getting better but I just feel like with the length of Holland, it's just going to be a completely different game than he's used to. And I feel like in the grappling as well, Alessio might take him down. He's got good takedowns, but, you know, I don't see him doing it for three rounds. I feel like Holland, you know, might hit him with a triangle, might sweep him. I mean, Holland's super funky, man. You know, I feel like he, he can actually 
maybe he might be going doing some things at 185 pounds. The kid's got all the talent. You know, with the playing around thing, he plays around, but I, honestly, I feel like he's still aware of what's going on when he's in there. He's talking to his corner. He, you know, the, the dude's legit. So I think he's actually going to get a finish here. I don't know if it's going to be by TKO or submission. Most likely by submission, but I think he's going to get a finish at some point. Yeah, I think that uh, the UFC have been very impressed with Kevin Holland. Obviously, he had that that fight on Contender Series versus Will Santiago, which shout out to Best Fight Pick sponsored athlete Jared Nitrain Gooden, who knocked out Will Santiago in 27 seconds last month, the guy that Kevin Holland beat by decision. But the reason Kevin Holland won by decision wasn't because he couldn't knock the guy out. It's because he likes playing in there. He likes talking to his opponents. He likes putting on a show for the fans. And that's exactly what he did. And at first, you know, he didn't get signed on that night. Dana White thought it was this big joke. And Tiago Mahedo was supposed to fight Jimmy Manoa that night. Then uh, Jimmy pulled. They called up Big Mouth. You know, Dana's like, call Big Mouth. Let's see what he's doing, right? Let's see if Big Mouth will take the fight. Big Mouth took the fight. He fought the fight. He talked throughout the entire fight, and uh, he made a lot of fans in L.A. that night. A lot of the celebrities were texting Dana being like, I like this kid, Kevin Holland, a lot. And since that point, I really feel like the UFC matchmakers have kind of switched up their approach. Now, they're letting Kevin Holland feast. Next fight, he gets to fight against John Phillips. You know what they were trying to do there? Trying to get Kevin Holland a, a, you know, a highlight reel win. That's exactly what happened. Next fight against Gerald Mershaw. They wanted to give Kevin Holland a win. That's exactly what happened there. Now, obviously, he made it way tougher than it needed to be. And he has uh, a tendency to do that kind of thing because he loves to fuck around. His takedown defense is not the best. But I'll tell you what, man. Like Shaq said, the guy's super long. Loves those sidekicks. Loves those one-twos. But, man, one of the biggest weapons in his game has got to be his brown belt under uh, Travis Luter, man. I mean, this guy is out here attacking arm bars on guys like Tiago Maheda. On, in his UFC debut on short notice. And obviously he got the submission his very next fight. And then the the subsequent one against Gerald Mershart. You guys remember when he full mounted him and started smashing him. And that's against a black belt. So Kevin Holland, even though his wrestling isn't the best, his jiu-jitsu is very on point and a very long striker. And with Alessio Manzo Rico, he's just a very tough guy. Loves to kind of turn it into an ugly brawl. And it's always fun to watch. The thing is here against Kevin, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to get away with some of the stuff that he can get away with. You know, because with, with Julian Marquez, when they had that back and forth war, Julian was tagging in with some very hard shots. And it seemed like, hey, you follow up with two, three more, you might knock this guy out. But Julian is so damn slow. He wasn't able to capitalize. Anytime he landed a hard shot on Alessio, it would take like five seconds before he could catch up to him to land the next one. It's it's not often you get a guy that's slower than Alessio. But that, that's what happened with Julian Marquez. Hey, he missed weight by five pounds, right? But here against uh, Kevin Holland, that's not going to be the case. And one little specific thing I want to bring up, because we know if you're betting on Alessio DiCarico, you are so banking on him trying to get these takedowns. And not only getting the takedowns, you hope that he's going to be able to hold down Kevin Holland, lay on him, grind out this decision, right? Well, here's the thing. He is going to take him down, but eventually he's going to get reversed and swept. And let me give you the proof of that. In Alessio DiCarico's UFC debut against Boyan Velikovic, he got Kimura swept. You know, two fights later, you know, he fought Gareth McClellan. We don't got to mention how Gareth took him down. We can kind of, <laughs> we, we can, we can write that off. The next fight. Why, why are we writing that off? <laughs> you know, we want to give him. Gareth was taking him down and, and he was gassed in two minutes. We'll give him a little of <laughs> a break for that. But look, because, you know, he had the armband on. He was, you know, I mean, listen, 
So his next fight, he fights Eric Spicely, gets tapped out in the first round. So right away, those are three fights in a row. We've seen issues on the mat, even if he's on top. Then you take it a step further. Well, how about his last fight? Because the one with Oluwal and Bang Bose, I mean, Bang Bose was a com- complete joke. <laughs> Just took care of that can real quick, that complete well, I bet fraud. On, I bet on him in that fight. We, <laughs> we, we both bet on Alessio DiCurico in that fight. But then the very last one against Julian Marquez. So I mentioned how he got Kimura swept against Boyan Velichkovic. Guess, guess what? Not only did he get... <laughs> Kimura swept in his UFC debut. He got Kimura swept his very last fight against Julian Marquez, guys. And uh, you know what's one move that uh, Kevin Holland hit on Tiago Maheda Santos? The Kimura sweep. So I'm just saying, do not be surprised when Alessio takes him down and you know gets caught up in a guillotine, a darce, an anaconda, gets Kimura swept, gets triangled. Just do not be surprised, my friends. So somewhere somewhere along the way i think kevin gets him out but if it does go to, to decision i think that kevin's actually gonna edge it out as well so i am gonna go with kevin holland here with big mouth and i think he gets another ufc finish maybe even a performance of the night bonus uh if it's five of the night i'm down for that as well but i am gonna go with kevin holland here to defeat alessio di Carico. next up in the women's flyweight division we got andrea kgb lee she's 10 and 2 and montana de la rosa is 10 and 4 Currently, they got Andrea Lee, minus 225. The comeback on Montana De La Rosa is plus 185. So, I mean, the big question here is, does Andrea Lee have enough of an advantage everywhere to warrant this minus 225 price? Andrea Lee's very talented. She's a very good boxer, very good kickboxer. You know, she's got good footwork, head movement. We saw that in her last fight against Evan Smith, who was a step up in competition from her previous fights, and she passed that test with flying colors, 30-27 on all cards. De La Rosa... De La Rosa, I would say, you know, I would say Lee's definitely a little more advanced. I would say De La Rosa's got talent, though. You know, I feel like she'll be she'll be good moving forward. I feel like she can be imposing at times. She she is allegedly a, a three-time All-American high school wrestler, you know, for, for girls. But uh, I feel like Andrea Lee's just a little bit, has too much of a gap in the You said my girl Montana's a three-time All-American? In high school. In, in co- high school? Yeah. Damn. Um, so, I mean, that's how she wins all her fights, by getting takedowns, and usually when she, the one time in the, in, at least in her UFC fights, that she couldn't get the takedown against, uh, Mantano on tough, she, she definitely got outworked, she got, she actually got taken down herself against Mantano, and Mantano just busted her up in every position, you know, it, it looked like there was a big skill gap here, I think Lee's more on that level with the Mantanos, and probably better than that, but, you know, I feel like Lee's probably top 10, I feel like De La Rosa's still developing, but, you know, as far as betting-wise goes, you know, one hold that not want to say hole but lee does get taken down and and then throughout her career that's been why she has two losses because she got taken down you know especially her last loss against uh i forget what the chick's name is uh roxanne modafferi no but modafferi beat this girl um pull up a regular it's like one of those moms <laughs> sarah sarah delio delio uh, you know, Andrea gassed out in that fight, and she she gave up her back, and she's been taken down after that as well, man. You know, she definitely does get taken down. She usually gets back up or attacks with the armbar, which might get her through this fight. But you know, uh, De La Rosa can wrestle, man. She she can get takedown. So we'll, so so we'll see what happens. You know, I feel like I wouldn't play it at minus two twenty five personally, but uh, you know, if you got it at the minus one forty that I remember it was, or you know, some close, closer, uh, closer to that. I feel like it's a good bet, and I think Lee should probably win. Uh, you know, two thirty twenty sevens, maybe a twenty nine twenty eight, and, and get a get a unanimous decision. You know, uh, they found 
that piece of shit, Donnie Aaron. Oh, they finally found that motherfucker, man. I remember her last fight, I said, hey, where the hell's Donnie Aaron? And <laughs> they finally found the motherfucker and they let him out. <laughs> you know, they arrested him. So the headline comes out, back in jail. But then, <laughs> but then you click the article and read it and he was out on bond like the same day. So now he's uh, back hiding in the think mountains. He, think he shows up to me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Shit, just don't go to Greenville. I'm going to be there. Please don't show up, you know? I know you wouldn't like me or Shaq, you know what I'm saying, man? But uh, look, as far as this matchup, I just think that Montana, excuse me, I just think that Andrea Lee is more well-rounded than Montana De La Rosa. I feel like Montana has one path to victory, which is take the back and choke her out, hope for a triangle choke if she's off her back. Whereas Andrea Lee, she can outstrike her. I mean, she's so much longer, so much more fluid. She can mix and takedowns as well and avoid the submission. Don't be surprised if Andrea taps her out, man. So bottom line is I think that there's three paths to victory for Andrea Lee, and I only think there's one for Montana De La Rosa. So for that reason, I'm going to take the more well-rounded Andrea Lee to win this fight. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got the return of Brian Bam Bam Barbarena coming off one of the fight of the year contenders versus Vicente Luque. He's 14-6, and six, and Randy Brown is 10 and 3. Well, everyone remembers when we cashed that. I cashed a 7-unit bet. You cashed a 10-unit bet on Randy Brown to beat that fraud Mickey Gall. Well, guess what? This ain't no Mickey Gall anymore. This is Brian Barberena. And one thing I want to add to that is... uh, That was Randy's last win. His last win was Mickey Gall, guys. You know what happened after that? He got knocked out with a hammer fist from bottom. This is the this is like a big topic this week of Randy and Barb is, you know, is Randy worth a shot? And if you want to take a step, by all means, I think it's, you know, you got great value, of course, man. But the thing is, it's one of those things where, like, you're throwing, it's like when you bet on, I forget who we were talking about. Randy's one of those guys, if, you know, you bet him at those type of odds, like, he's doing good for a second. You're like, yes, Randy, yes, Randy, yes, Randy. And then I was like, no, wait, no, 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 no. <laughs> Randy's one of those type of guys. So, you know, I've been high on Randy in the past. Things just really haven't worked out. You know, the Nico Price fight, I was under the, the impression that he was winning that entire fight up a, up until he got finished. But, you know, that wasn't the case at all. You know, Nico's slow. Nico gets hit a lot, you know, but Nico was in control of that fight. And, you know, they got in one. Randy likes to grapple too much. He's this big 6'2", long guy. You want him to use his jab, use his straight punches, and, and start taking guys' heads off or at least start jabbing their heads off. And he's always trying to grapple he's always trying to take guys down and i think it's because randy's a little bit chinny you watch that mickey golf fight the two right hands mickey did throw i mean he felt him you know i feel like uh from a betting perspective i definitely would not play barb at a line like that you know minus what is it 270 something like that in that range but uh Barb's a guy that you play at plus 270, not minus 270. But sometimes when he's lying this high, it's for a reason. I remember when he fought Joe Proctor or, you know, these guys like uh, Jake, Jake, you know, Jake Ellenberger. If he's lying this high, that means because Barb's a guy that, you know, yeah, he's not the best. But actually, I feel like he's underrated technically, man. I, like going into the Vicente fight, I thought Vicente was going to win. But, you know, I, I felt like it was going to be going to play out a lot much closer. It was definitely ended by knockout. But, uh, you know, I feel like the line was like plus 300. But just because Barb's a you can tell like he's actually can box you know he's actually a good grappler i mean vicente had him fully uh locked up in a choke and the next minute he's reversing it you know that's the type of things that you engage randy in. and then randy's gonna start looking to pull a stunt you know he, he's proven it time i remember he was supposed to have his coming out party against Bilal. he got 30 27 <laughs> in that fight uh, the against Mickey the fight Mexican. was supposed to be a first-round <laughs> Mickey said he was going to absolutely run through him. He's out here getting almost choked out in the second against a fucking can that shouldn't even be in the UFC, like I told you guys, like, two years ago. Uh, and then, uh, you know, his fight with Nico Price, I mean, 
hashtag knocked out. Hammerfist from bottom. <laughs> Hashtag hammer from bottom. You know what I'm saying? Like only Randy Brown. So I feel like Barb's gonna win this fight, whether it's by decision, a tough, uh, hard-earned decision, or a knockout. I feel like he's probably actually gonna run through Randy. I feel like Randy's secretly a little bit chinny, and I feel like, uh, especially after his last fight, I mean, those are clean shots to his. What chin. about the mental? Side? <laughs> especially. So I feel like Barb's a better grappler than him. Barb's got better boxing than him. Of course, Randy's a little long. He definitely could uh, frustrate Barb a little bit early, but. Like I said, I wouldn't bet Barb at a line like that, but I think he's going to win this fight, and I think he's going to gonna finish uh, Randy and go back to his farm with all his kids, you know? <laughs> you know, when this line first came out, I was thinking like a lot of other people are thinking, oh, man, plus two-something on Randy Brown. There's a lot of value. Brian Barberena is usually known for his comeback wins unless he's fighting the Joe Proctors and the Jake Ellenbergers of the world. But then when you watch the tape on Randy Brown, it's like, okay, well, this is what he's got going for him. 6'2", 6'3", long as fuck, athletic, brown belt in jiu-jitsu. I mean, the guy can lift those knees up super high like you saw in that Nico Price, uh, yeah, the Nico Price fight. And like in that Nico Price fight, you know, you're watching, you're like, damn, nice knee, Randy. And then it's like, no, Randy, no, 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 wait, no, 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 no Randy, no, please. No, no, don't shoot, no. Randy, stand up. <laughs> and, then, and then Randy's on top. You're like, yes, Randy. And then five seconds later, he's knocked out on top. I'm like, oh, my God. Like in that, in that uh, Mickey Gall fight where we had like – too much money on uh, Randy Brown because I mean, he was fighting Mickey Gall. Like, come on, guys. We, we, got, we got Mickey again. We told you he's a complete joke. <laughs> but uh, that second round, it's like, I mean, Randy's like going out there. It was supposed to be a first-round finish. You're supposed to go out there and knock Mickey Gall out. Just show him that your level's above him. You've been in there with Bilal and all these guys. Mike Graves. And then, uh, you know, Mike Graves beat Vicente Luque, by the way. And uh, then uh, that second round, he takes him down. You're like, okay, Randy, if you really want to fight on the ground, fine. Just just please be safe. Then he gets reversed. I'm like, oh, my God, Randy, no. So And he got his neck and chokes and shit. I'm like, Randy, what the fuck are you doing? So, so, so my question here is, what's Randy going to do to fuck this up? Because, I mean, when, when I criticize you know, Randy, it's not about his striking. It's not about his jiu-jitsu. It's not about his athleticism. It's about his fight IQ. It's the decision-making this guy does in there. I don't know if it's a confidence thing. I don't know if he's just not the brightest. I, I don't Even technically speaking, he really ain't that good, man. I think that's just what it is. He ain't that good. He was the first looking for a fight guy. He he comes in has that close decision with uh, Dwyer. From what I remember, that was a 29-28 type decision. He fought Graves. Graves ran through him, like, quickly. Then, uh... Montana. Montana fight. He's struggling. He's struggling. Kamosi had him in an arm bar for a second. And Kamosi's a complete. So, so basically, Randy Brown's been a fraud this whole time. He's been a fraud the entire time, and it's just time to admit it, guys. Yeah, and look, (laughs) even though Brian Barbarino is known for his comeback wins, and he might get one here, man, don't be surprised if he knocks out Randy in the first round. So while I do think that you know you can justify taking a shot on Randy just because of these odds, at the end of the day. I think Brian Barbarino is going to win inside the distance. Co-main event of the evening in the Bantamweight division. We got John Hans of Stone Lineker. He's 31-9. And, and Robbie Font is 16-4. and four. Currently, they got John Lineker minus 220. The comeback on Rob Font is plus 180. Well, Shaq, uh, we all remember what happened the first time these two fought. Uh, John Lineker gave him a tour of the octagon in Brazil. Funny enough, I actually bet on Robbie Font. And my reasoning was, well, it was big dog odds. I said, you know... Uh, He's so much taller, this and that, the reach advantage. He's going to stick and move against uh, John Lineker. And guess what? No one's ever stuck against John Lineker, stuck and moved against John Lineker against his very last fight against Corey Sanhagen. And uh, 
Yeah, TJ did something. <laughs> that wasn't sticking move. That was a that hit, was some EPO. That was some EPO <laughs> high kicks to takedowns type shit. But look, you know you know that fucking weirdo Dwayne Bang Ludwig walks around the octagon barefoot like as a coach. Yeah, yeah that's disgusting. But anyways, thought it was no shoes on the mat. <laughs> I mean, he's walking around the, the arena barefoot too. As far as his matchup with Robbie Font and John Lineker, the rematch, man. The question here is, what kind of improvements has Robbie Font made? And is he catching John Lineker at a good time? Now, one reason why you could say no is because if you actually look at the output that John Lineker had his last fight against Corey Sanhagen, pretty fucking phenomenal. Because Corey Sanhagen, I'll go ahead and say, this guy is the output king at 135 pounds. I mean, who the fuck else is coming out here? So you mean Sanhagen's a future world champion. <laughs> look, 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 the kid's a future world champion, but who else is out here landing 8 to 10 strikes per minute? Uh, that's what Corey Sanhagen does. Robbie Font just doesn't throw at that clip. My question is, can he make the adjustment after watching the Sanhagen fight come out here, get the biggest win of his career, avenge that first loss to John Lineker? Yeah, you know, I feel like Sanhagen's, I mean, from the second we heard that guy's name, they, they uh, said he was going to be at this level. No, he is. He's actually fighting the Sun Sal in a couple of weeks. So, Sun Sal first fight off the title shot versus, uh, versus Sanhagen. It's going to be a good fight. But uh, Rob Fon and Lineker, the first fight, Lineker went to his body, had him backing up, couldn't take it, had him actually flopping to his back a couple times. He actually, he, he did jab Lineker, but we know Lineker has a chin, a serious chin. I mean, he broke his jaw against TJ with that head kick. I mean, we've seen plenty of times where Lineker has exposed his chin and eat all the shots. And Sanhagen is super disciplined. You know, Robbie Font does have talent. He's always had talent. But what's happened every time that you really pressure Rob Font? When you're really when you're really getting there when he's not fighting an old Douglas De Silva or a, a, a complete fraud the entire time in Sergio Pettis. Tomas uh, <laughs> Almeida. You know, anytime he gets matched up with the top five, six, seven, eight guys, and some people think Lineker's, you know, sliding down and, and I do agree with it a little bit, but there's a different extent to certain things. You know, I feel like Lineker in his last fight still show, but who knows, man? Lineker, he uh he is getting a little older, but I just just feel like when it comes to it, Robbie Font is not going to keep it together. You have to stay completely disciplined because you could be you could be adding points up on Lineker, but eventually he's going to go to your body really hard and then come upstairs. And Sanhagen, although he fought a very great fight, what happened in that third round? He even Sanhagen almost was looking for ways out of there and was like, "Oh my God, please!" I mean, and I felt like John fought a great fight. I feel like as long as John mentally does not get, you know, John's been talking a lot. You know, he's been saying, you know, I, I want to be released. I, Sean Shelby, uh, yeah, you know, he has been very upset with the promotion. He feels like he's been backdoored and that all these guys that, you know, John used to be number two in the world at one point. Like, a lot of people forget that. Like, when he beat Dotson, when he beat uh, Michael Mayday McDonald, like, you know, but he's dropped down a, a lot of spots. So, you you know, when you say John Lineker's stock, you know, this could be a thing in hindsight where you say, I mean, he has been falling, you know what I'm saying? And it's been due to injuries, due to a job break, his fight with Cheeto Vera. You would think that he, not, he would probably knock a guy like Cheeto out at that stage. You know, he's top five Cheetos unranked. But it was the third round was close. So, you know, who knows? Maybe Rob Font does have a chance from a betting perspective. It's definitely dog or pass. I can't play John Lineker at a line like this because, like I said, he is falling in stock. I mean, <laughs> this guy used to be number two in the world. Now he's, like, barely hanging on in the top ten. He's complaining to the UFC. He wants to be released. But I still think he's the better fighter than Rob Font. I think the only way Rob Font can win this fight is by knockout. You know, I feel like Rob Font has a puncher's chance. I don't think he can stay disciplined for three rounds. But uh, I'm going to go with Lineker by decision yeah i mean look 
this is going to be interesting because Rob Font, not only is this fight on short notice for Lineker, it's on short notice for Font too because initially he was supposed to fight Cody Stamen, which, yeah, Cody Stamen's very good at winning decisions, good at winning rounds, but there's not really that danger, that threat where it's like you go to sleep at night thinking, man, I might get knocked out in this fight. With Cody Stamen, it's like, man, I just got <laughs> I just got to outpoint the guy and not let him uh, do his thing to me, you know, not let him steal that takedown with the last 30 seconds. Like Cody Stamen's a very good round winner, guys. But then you get that call that's uh, actually it's not Cody. It's a uh, it's John. It's the guy that made you pull guard for the first time <laughs> in your life. It's John Lineker. You know, you know when Rob hung up that phone before he called all his friends to tell him it was like, fuck, like oh shit, like oh damn. You know his heart sank for a second. Well, my boy Shardy thinks it's a good time to catch Lineker. You know, but then he then he has to put up the front, call his friends, and be like, oh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm gonna whoop his ass in this rematch. I've been waiting for this since the fight since the first fight ended, and it's like Rob, we know that's not the case, but. <laughs> We're going to give you your shot here, man. Like, do you have what it takes to make the proper adjustments to beat John Lineker? Now, here are a couple paths to victory for Rob Font. One, if John Lineker pulls a stunt. I mean, this is on short notice. That last fight with Corey Sanhagen was a three-round war. If, you know, John Lineker hasn't been training and he thinks just because he beat this guy's ass the first time, comes out here off the couch, misses weight, doesn't throw as much, Rob Font can out-volume him to a decision. But that's just an assumption. If we're dealing with the Lineker that we've always dealt with, Rob Font is going to have to bite down in a way he never has because talent-wise, it's all there like Shaq said. And output is there as well. Not not to the extent of Corey Sanhagen. <laughs> By less than half of Sanhagen. It's just, it's just I didn't say it. Every time he gets into a real fight, he breaks. <laughs> it's just that Rob Font can, can give it really well, but when it's time to take it, I mean, look, it's not just that first John Lineker fight, guys. What about the Pedrinho Munoz fight? I mean, Rob Font was doing his thing, but as soon as Pedro decided, oh, I'm going to swing that big left uh, right hand, that, oh, that that left hook overhand right, I mean, then you had Robbie Font shooting for takedowns. Guess guess who hits harder than Pedro Munoz? John Lineker. And you know, uh, I mean, he beat John, uh, he beat Thomas Almeida. We know Thomas Almeida's got no chin. You know, we were watching his career with Jimmy. We, me and you were watching it. We were like, man, I feel bad for Thomas. Now he's pulling out of fights with uh, with eye vision problems. And Sergio Pettis, you know, Sergio's a flyweight, man. He's... Sergio, I mean, look, man. Sergio. Sergio is harmless. Sergio could... <laughs> Sergio, Sergio couldn't hurt a fly. Do you understand what I'm saying? Look, look, what I'm trying to say here is that Rob Font might be getting off on some jabs, might be getting off on some low kicks, but as soon as it's time for John Lineker to throw those strikes of his own, unless Robbie Font's just had a mental... Uh, you know, Unless Calvin's been rubbing off on him. A mental makeover where now he can eat those hard shots and deliver back. It seems like he loses his composure when he gets hit super hard. And a lot of people are saying that John Lineker is a very one-dimensional fighter, that all he has are the overhands. And I respectfully disagree. He actually shown me he's got a pretty fucking sick calf kick game. He's got a nice guillotine. He's mixed in takedowns too, like... John Lineker, just because he's five foot three and likes to throw big bombs, doesn't mean that that's all he's got, man. Like the guy is actually look, he's a top ten guy for like the last half decade. He's pretty damn good, guys. Now, once again, they're gonna meet inside the octagon in South Carolina if everything is normal and you know there's no rust from Lineker. You know, I say rust. There's no you know if he's out of shape because he took this on on a week notice and you know thinks this is a joke. As long as none of that shit's happening and Lineker shows up like Lineker. I mean, I don't really see what, what's going to change here because as soon as he decides to commit and throw big to Rob Font, Rob Font historically does not like that. So for that reason, I got John Lineker. I'm going to say third-round TKO. And uh, Corey Sanhagen might be a future world champion, guys. Main event of the evening in the featherweight division, Henato Moicano Carnero. He's 13-2. and two. 
and the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung, is 14 and 5. Currently, they got Hinato Moikano, minus 190. The comeback on the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung, is plus 165. Well, dude, I mean, Korean zombies always involved in fight of the years. I mean, the fight with Leonard Garcia, the Dustin Poirier fight, the Yair Rodriguez fight, and Hinato Moikano, for a long time, we were saying this is one of the top prospects at 145 pounds. Beat Calvin Cater, gave him, he put a clinic on a guy like Calvin Cater, had to be his first UFC L. So now the question is, which one of these guys rebounds, which one of these guys rebounds from their brutal knockout loss? Yeah, both guys are definitely hungry. Both guys are coming off knockout losses. And I want to talk about both guys, both guys' knockout losses. And, you know, Chance on Jung, first I'll go say, go ahead and say that fight with Yair Rodriguez was amazing. And, you know, Going into this uh, fight with Moicano, I was under the impression that Zombie was, you know, clearly ahead up on the cards going in that fight. But the reason why he, you know, went for it at the end was because it was kind of a 50-50 fight, man. You know, uh, Yair Rodriguez, I feel like there were so many questions going on, on him going into that fight. And Zombie, Zombie was just coming off the Bermudez fight. And he had and he's been off these layoffs, you know, these big layoffs, which he does all the time. You got Yair, who's... You know, they're saying he's afraid to fight Zabid, and, you know, we haven't seen him in a long time. The Frankie Edgar fight in which he uh, lost, but, you know, prior to that, remember, I remember everyone was saying Yair was a future champion. Uh, you know, he was the next featherweight star, and I feel like everyone, you know, in hindsight, in hindsight, of course, everyone kind of wrote him off after that Frankie Edgar fight, you know, because he had the, the issues with the UFC, and that performance he had with Korean Zombie was just... A true testament of like how tough both guys were, man, because the shots that they were hitting each other with and, the, and, and just the technique as well was definitely high level, definitely a fight where you had to dig down deep, like to your deepest. So, you know, I feel like uh, Korean Zombie actually evolved a little bit in that Yair fight because going into that fight, I was just like, man, you can't bet on Zombie. You don't really know what he's doing. He, the fight was on, uh, with Bermudez was so short. It was just a quick little knockout. Um, and before that, you know, Aldo, before his fight before that with Dustin Poirier, that's how infrequently this guy is fighting. So it was kind of, Zombie was a little bit of a mystery in a sense. And I feel like he's kind of a representative of the old featherweight division with the, the Frankies and the, the Lamases and the Cubs and the Jose's. He actually elevated his skills to go in there with a young creative guy like Yair Rodriguez who's out here throwing cartwheel kicks and like flip, doing flip kicks in the third round of fights and and I'll go ahead and say man keep an eye out for Yair Rodriguez because I feel like everyone wrote him off after that Frankie Edgar fight. And Remember when people were acting like Zabit was going to kill Yair? <laughs> like if they fight I got Yair Rodriguez. I, I feel like Yair honestly might be doing like that performance is amazing that he had against Korean Zombie and the toughness that he showed was incredible so I feel like he, whenever he's done healing from that zombie fight I'm sure he's gonna come back soon zombie's already back yeah here keep an eye out for you here man he uh he might be the guy that you guys said he was all along but uh yeah so in that fight I felt like Korean Zombie's boxing looked really good because you know in the Dustin Poirier fight those fights were so long ago that's a the featherweight division was still in its developing stages in a sense those type of fights, you know, we really don't see, you know, those type of fights. But like I said, he was on frequency with a guy like Yair, who I consider super young, super creative, good timing, good boxing, good wrestling. Every He's got good coaching, Izzy Martinez in them. Yair honestly has top five type of talent. So Chan Sung Jung can fight tooth and nail with the top five guy. Of course, he got knocked out with an elbow. No shame in getting knocked out by an elbow or a knee. Those, you know, those things happen. And uh, as, for, as far as McConnell, 
I mean, y'all know how high I've been. I'm like, Kano, I mean, the second this guy came in, I said this guy would be in the title picture. I mean, you know, he is in in some sense. But uh, he's super talented. He's got good boxing, black belt in jiu-jitsu. He's huge. He's big. And, uh... I mean, he's well-rounded, man. The guy's super talented. In a five-round fight, this is going to be his first main event. Korean Zombies definitely got more experience in five-round fights. Moikano probably has a has a length advantage, a boxing advantage early, the low kicks early. I feel like he's got a durability advantage early. The, the big thing I'm struggling with this is in this fight is I feel like Korean Zombie, the way you beat him, at least is going to be by knockout, you know? I feel like he can definitely be caught against... Other guys in the featherweight division, when I try to match him up, I would say, because his grappling is super underrated. You know, I was thinking Moicano might sub him, but man, this guy's grappling is sick, man. The, some of the scrambles he had with Dustin Poy, the, even when he got here, man, they were scrambling. He was hitting his butterfly guard is definitely really good. He's got that judo background, so I was thinking, man, so Hanato's probably gonna have to outclass him for five for five rounds or drop him. And this is the first time. Uh, this will have to be the first time he either gets a knockout or. The first time uh, Moikano gets a knockout, or the first time Korean Zombie gets subbed. So, I'm thinking the only way Moikano, I don't see uh, Korean Zombie, unless Moikano gets his first knockout, I feel like this is going to be a tooth and nail type of fight. You know, I feel like, like I said, Moikano's got the advantages early, but historically speaking, if you pressure Moikano, if you get into his face, if you take his best shot, if you keep coming, generally the two times that he's lost... You know, he, he got he got finished. You know, the, the Brian Ortega fight. Going into that fight, I thought there was a, a big stand-up advantage. I'm like, Kano definitely, definitely tagged Ortega, but Ortega ate a shot. He kept coming. Unless Moicano gets his first knockout, I feel like Zombie can eat his shots and keep coming forward as well. I feel like uh, Korean Zombie's boxing definitely elevated his last fight in comparison to his previous fights. You know, I'd definitely like to see him mix it up a little bit more. But the grappling, the grappling, I don't think it's going to be there for Marcano in this fight. I think he's going to have to stand toe-to-toe and actually either get his first knockout or outclass him for five rounds. And I don't see that happening. I think Korean Zombie might lose the first round, first round and a half. But I think eventually Marcano's going to put too much effort into his shots when he gets pressured. Because that's what those Brazilians do. You know, when they swing... They swing and they put everything into it. And this is going to be a five-round fight. This ain't a three-rounder. And I feel like, you know, when he's getting a little tired in that third round, the shots of Korean Zombie, I feel like we're going to see a better version of Korean Zombie. I still feel like he wants to be in this game. I still I feel like he's trying to get into a little bit of rhythm. But he had to take a little break after that Yair fight. Hanato has kind of always shown, you know, when I look back, when I watch his fights against Jeremy Stevens, you know, in the past I kind of overblown that performance because... You know, it is Jeremy Stevens. He, he, was a, he was a top five guy. He won me that bet against uh, the Russian uh, Tukugov. I mean, the facts, in, the facts in that fight is Jeremy Stevens is a slow, plotty. No <laughs> you know, and even even Jeremy Stevens started to pressure Moicano in that third round and start to touch him, even in the second round. That's why it was a split decision. For some reason, I was always wondering why uh, it was a split decision. I, I definitely gave Moicano the first two rounds, but even Jeremy Stevens showed that, you know, if you stay on him, eventually that footwork, he can't keep up for the three rounds, especially when he's swinging. But Jeremy Stevens doesn't have, he's just... In my opinion, personally, I know he's probably ranked higher than Zombie, but we just don't see much a, a, a lot of Zombie to, you know, make these uh, type of statements. So, you know, I feel like Korean Zombie's going to come out here, look a lot better. I think he's going to eat Moicano's shots. I feel like Moicano's going to probably win the first round, or first round and a half. But that pressure, whenever Chan Sung Jung goes in, it's a, it's a just so greatly timed. It's a, 
like we saw in the Yair fight, Yair so long, and Yair's about the same height as Moicano, and every time uh, Zombie was reaching, uh, coming in, man, he'd raise up with his chin up in the air, try to swing, but Zombie did a good job for four rounds, I mean, if he didn't get knocked out, that fight was going to be a very close fight, he can fight with those, those level of guys, I feel like the misconception is basically that Moicano is a clear-cut top five uh, clear-cut top five guy in levels ahead of these guys like Yair, Zombie, and these other guys. And I, I just don't think that's the case. I think on the given day, Zombie can uh, definitely fight with those guys. We just don't see enough of them. And I think he's going to get this upset win by fourth-round TKO. I think, like I said, Moicano comes out strong, but eventually tires out and doesn't like the shots of Zombie. Damn, that's a great prediction right there. I just hope that the fight is as exciting as Shaq described. Look, for me... I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for both guys, but especially the Korean Zombie. I got a soft spot for the Korean Zombie because my favorite fight of all time is Korean Zombie versus Leonard Garcia at WEC 48. I love this guy. He's the man. Back in the WEC, I mean, he went 0-2 in the WC, but was like one of my favorite fighters. That's how badass the guy is. And with Moicano, I've always been high on the guy since I saw him against uh, Tom Ninamaki. I was like, man, this guy's pretty damn good. And I've made my fair share of money betting on Moicano. I've also lost, too, in that Ortega fight. You know what I'm saying? But the bottom line here is how do they match up? Well, I think that Moicano needs to come out here with a very disciplined game plan. Do not brawl with the Korean Zombie. Because like Shaq alluded to, anytime anyone's really turned up and put that heat that pressure on moicano he doesn't like it but what moicano is able to do is first of all i know he's listed at 511 but between you and me he's actually a six foot one featherweight and i've heard that from people that train with him at att so the guy's six foot one you got to go out there and use that length man and he has fought very dangerous boxers before and beaten them example he beat a guy who I've said is a top five guy over two years ago, Calvin Cater. He beat Calvin Cater, ate his best shot in that first round, and it almost seemed like, oh, fuck, Moicano's about to get knocked out, and he was able to put it together and put on a leg kick clinic. So I do think the calf kicks are going to be big weapons for Moicano here, and they were big weapons in some of those rounds for Yair Rodriguez. So we know that Korean Zombie can get kicked a lot. We know Moicano can deliver the kicks. And I don't need to mention how... You know, the two guys that beat uh, Korean Zombie were both really tall. You know, uh, George Roop knocked him out with the head kick, and then Yair knocked him out as well. Both very tall guys. Moicano's a tall guy too, but we can just kind of put that on the back burner and, and match it up with skills. And, man, Zombie is a very well-rounded guy. He's good everywhere on the mat. You saw that fight with Dustin Poirier when Dustin tried to take him down. You saw the reversals. You saw the Darce choke. So Moicano just can't just come out here with some sloppy game plan, but he never does, man. He likes to circle on the outside, use that jab, use that length, start to pile up the kicks. And then when he starts putting together those combinations, three punches followed up by a kick, I think that's where he's going to have the most success. So it really comes down to, in my mind, how does he react when Korean Zombie bites down on that mouthpiece and decides to go? But I do think that he can dig shot enough damage in terms of the the leg kicks the body shots to slow down the korean zombie and then eventually either pile up enough volume to win the decision or debilitate this guy like he did the calvin care and get a stoppage in the championship round so even though korean zombie is one of my all-time favorite fighters i'm gonna have to go with hanato moicano in this fight i think the length the output the kicks are gonna be too much here and I think that he outvolumes the Korean zombie and breaks him down with the kicks, like I already mentioned, and wins a, a five-round uh, unanimous decision. But hopefully it's fight of the night. Hopefully we see a total war. I got Hinata Moicano.
Now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, it's going down this Saturday. Another Korean zombie fight. You know he's known for those fight of the years. How's it going, man? Good, man. Uh, I usually really enjoy the weeks off nowadays because it just seems like all I do is work, work, work. But, man, after that last card, I've been itching to get back. I'm ready to win some money. Hopefully this is the card. Uh, and it's it's a solid main event. I love it. Well, speaking again back to work, we got nine straight weeks of UFC. So it all starts right here, right now with Hinato Moicano and the Korean Zombie because they got Hinato Moicano 8,600 on DraftKings. Korean Zombie is 7,600. And we know the Korean Zombie has a knack for the finish when he wins fights. So he goes out here and finishes Moicano. He's definitely covering that salary cap. The question is, does he have what it takes after such a devastating result to come back out here and, and defeat the young up-and-coming Moicano? Man, I don't know. That that knockout was so brutal, and it, it was just the craziest knockout I've ever seen with one second left after he was winning. Uh, but Korean Zombie just always brings the fight. So in general, I think his fights are great to target on DraftKings because he's going to bring out the best in his opponent as well. He's going to make Mui Kano fight at a, at a faster rate than he usually would. Um, and with five rounds, I have a hard time seeing either one of these guys not pay off their salary in a win. So it, it's an all-in fight for me. You can stack it in cash. But I'm going with Mui Kano in this one. Um, I've been calling him to be a, a title contender for a long time now. I thought he was going to be Aldo and get there. Um, so I'm just going to keep riding that train. I like Mui Kano. I think he's just going to kind of pick him apart from the outside. If he, I'd like to see this fight hit the ground. I think that would be interesting. Um, but maybe he could submit him there. Uh, I, am, I, I just think he's going to be the better overall fighter. And with five rounds at that $8,600 price tag, it's going to be hard for him not to be on the optimal lineup. I think he's going to pay that off easily with the win. But if you're on Korean Zombie, it's the same thing with him. There's no way he's not going to be on the optimal if he wins at 7,600. So go all in with this fight. My preferred play is Moicano. So Lineker is rematching Font. And as you know, Lineker did take this fight on short notice. But historically speaking, when you have a rematch like this, the second time doesn't always go like the first. So what I got to know here, man, is there any value on Rob Font at 7,300 versus Hands of Stone? Uh, well, in that first fight, I, I thought Lineker really dominated him. And I don't see this fight being as one-sided. And he only scored 87 points in that first fight. So now he's 8,900 going into this. That's making me rather go dog or pass for this fight. I do think he's going to win. I just don't think it's going to be as dominant, and I don't see him scoring really highly as well. Um, if he doesn't get the knockout and he doesn't go for takedowns, I just don't see him having that 100-plus point upside that we're looking for. So I would rather just go ahead and go with Font here. If he can win, he's only, what is he, 7,300 on DraftKings? Uh, he's almost always paying that off in his wins. It's going to be tough to beat Lineker, but I would say this is a dog or pass for me. Uh, getting guys like font in your lineup will help you be able to pay up for other favorites so um it's not a play that i love it's just i would prefer him over lineker so andrea lee is taking on montana de la rosa and obviously we all know why andrea lee is favored she is the more well-rounded fighter here but montana de la rosa when she wins fights it tends to be by submission she goes out here and submits andrea lee she is definitely going to cover that 7500 so now the question is are you willing to take that punt on montana de la rosa yeah, I would say in a couple GPP lineups, it's definitely worth it. Um, if she can get the fight to the ground, she's definitely live for a submission. She's just not the greatest at getting fights to the ground. Um, and I think Lee's probably going to be able to stuff most takedowns. Uh, and Lee scores, I mean, a decent amount, even in decision. So 
I've kind of been going back and forth on this one for DraftKings. I originally thought De La Rosa would be the better play because, like you said, if she wins, there's a good chance she's going to be on the optimal lineup because it's likely a submission. But in Lee's two wins, she has 86 and 97 points and two decisions. So that's not bad at all. And I do think she's going to dominate this fight on the feet. I do think she can stuff takedowns or even get takedowns of her own. Um, and, and I think she might be pretty low owned. I'm not really sure yet. I haven't done a whole lot of digging into everything yet, but I have the feeling she's going to be low on. So that's kind of making me like her a little bit more here. So I've switched my, my thoughts in the last day or two, but I think Andrea Lee's my, my preferred play in this one. So Brian Barberino is making his return after that fight of the year contender against Vicente Luque. He's taking on Randy Brown. Both guys coming off devastating knockout losses and Brian Barberino is 9,200 on DraftKings, and oftentimes, unless he's fighting the Joe Proctors or the Jake Ellenbergers of the world, a lot of his wins are comeback wins. So my question is, with 9,200 being the price, if you put him in your lineup, you need him to not just go out here and win. You need him to go out here and finish Randy Brown. The question is, is that going to happen? See, I mean, you would think that, but he lost his last fight, and he scored 95 DraftKings points in a loss. Um, So if that went to a decision and he won, that would have been 125 points. Uh, so he, he really can put up the pace to to reach that $9,200 value, even in a decision win. Um, I think he is going to be the tougher guy. He's going to try to be the bully in there. Um, and I think he has the potential to be one of the highest scoring guys on the slate. Uh, I don't know, but, but it's just hard to want to pay $9,200 for him with all these other favorites. Um, and I don't hate Randy Brown here. I do think he's got – I think he's a live dog, um, and he's only 7 thousand on DraftKings. I don't see him having, you know, that hundred plus point upside for GPPs, but at seven K we don't really need that. We just need a win from him. Um and I think he can do that. So I- I'm gonna be picking both sides of this fight in my GPPs. It's not gonna be necessarily an all in fight, but I am very interested in Brown at that price tag. And if Barbarina wins, I think he has a good shot of paying off his as well. So I like this fight a lot for GPPs. Should be a fun one, but I'm actually going to roll with the underdog here. I'll take Randy Brown um, by TKO, actually. So Kevin Holland's making his return against Alessio DiQuirico, and I know a lot of people are taking the underdog shot on DiQuirico because he does score a good amount of takedowns you know, throughout his UFC career, and we know that the one weakness in Holland's game is his takedown defense. Now the question is here, when he takes him down, is it just going to end there, Kyle, or do you think that Holland's going to have an answer for him? Actually, yeah, I think Holland's a better fighter everywhere here, except for uh, fight IQ and takedown defense. Uh, overall, he's just the more skilled, more athletic, more dominant fighter. I think on the feet, he's going to pick him apart. And whether he takes it to the ground or whether DiCirico takes it to the ground, I think Holland's going to get the better of it. So he, I like him a good bit here. And him being at 8,800 on DK makes me like him a little bit more because I don't think it's going to be hard for him to pay that off. You're not, you're not having to pay off, you know, like a 9.4, 9.5K price tag, which is tough to do. 8,800 isn't so tough. He did score 156 over Phillips, so he's got that. He can do that. It's a ceiling for him. Uh, I don't see him getting as many takedowns as he did in that fight. That's not a ceiling I'm seeing for him here, but I do think he has 100-plus point upside, and he's only 8.8K. So give me Holland. I really don't have a whole lot of interest in DiCirico, though. And last but not least, because I know the MMA community is very split on this fight, we got to hear the Kyle Marley perspective because Kevin Aguilar is taking on Dan Ige. And, man, hell of a matchup. Uh, Aguilar has been very tough to beat. Dan Ige comes out like a bat out of hell. Uh, which way are you leaning? 
Um, I'm going to go – I'm probably leaning Ige here. It's, it's not a fight that I love to target on DraftKings, so I'm not going to have a whole lot of exposure to either side. But I think it's a pretty 50-50 fight, so I would rather just save the money, get Ige. I think he has a better shot of finishing. He's also going to be the guy that's looking for takedowns, so I like that as well. Um, so, yeah, give me Ige here. Um, but I would say most of my lineups won't have this fight in general. Um, with Aguilar, you're really, you're really rooting for the knockout for him to score highly, and that's not something I want to invest highly in. Well, Kyle, that's why you're the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down this Saturday at UFC Greenville. The fans can follow you at Big Marley 3. Your bets and your write-ups are available at bestfightpicks.com. That's right, man. Just put the bets in today so those are ready. I will have DraftKings ready tomorrow, hoping to crush, and hopefully we have nine straight weeks of uh, some nice profit. That's the plan, Kyle. Best of luck, my friend, and we will speak soon. All right, man. Good luck. Let's get it. Thank you very much, Kyle Marley. And Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Greenville? My fight to watch is going to be uh, Dan Ige versus Kevin Aguilar. You know, whoever wins that fight. It's going to be a top 25 guy. And, you know, I feel like Aguilar, if he gets this win, he's going to be 18-1. and one. You know, you could you could put him in there with a, with a Sadiq or, uh, you know, on that level. So, you know, I feel like uh, that's my fight to watch. I just, I'm, I'm interested in that match. Look, besides the main event, my fight to watch is John Lineker versus Robbie Fine. Not only is this a rematch, but this is my first time getting to see uh, Hands of Stone live in the arena. I, I can't wait to hear how those shots sound in person. So... And not to mention, Rob Font has to be super hungry to to avenge that loss, man. So for that reason, Lineker versus Font is my fight to watch. Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Greenville? My fighter to watch is going to be in the main event in Korean Zombie, man. This guy, we need to see more of him. He's always, you know, on a little hiatus, and now he's coming back once again. And this is his typical pattern, man. He likes to peek his head in there, you know, get a win and, you know, bounce out for two years. And he's fighting. Both guys are super hungry in this fight. And it's like... Uh, if you know if he loses this fight, this might be the last we see it. Uh, Korean Zombie, and um, like Kano needs this win bad. So Korean Zombie's my fighter to watch. Always a fan favorite. You, you know, whenever he fights, you're gonna go home saying holy shit. You know, so Korean Zombie's my fighter to watch. My fighter to watch is Kevin Big Mouth Holland. The reason why is I feel like the UFC have really taken notice of this guy, and they're giving him an opportunity here to not just go out there and get a win at UFC Greenville but to make a statement and get a finish and to take things to the next level because they've been trying to give this guy hand-picked opponents, try to get him on that win streak, and with a win here over Alessio DiCarico, he can take that next step towards the top 30, towards the top 25. This is, this is the kind of fight he needs. He goes out here and shows out, doesn't pull a stunt, and I think Kevin Holland might be your fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday in Greenville, South Carolina. Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie versus Hanato Moikano. I cannot wait. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Our bets are always available at bestfightpicks.com. Having a very good year so far. Plan to keep that up, bestfightpicks.com. Make sure you subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, and Spotify. Hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes. Our Instagram, Best Fight Picks Official. Thank you all so much for the support. If you're going to Greenville, make sure you hit us up. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.